Campfire Classics is a classic literature podcast. However, your hosts will occasionally use not-so-classy language and immature humor to describe very mature situations. As such, listener discretion is advised. Hey, this is Dre at Tattoo Squid Podcast, and you're listening to my favorite storytelling couple from Campfire Classic Podcast, Ken and Heather. Enjoy. Thank you for that intro, Dre. I am Ken Sandberg. And I'm Heather Michelle Lawler. Welcome to Campfire Classics, where we try to read those books that look really good on your shelf. We're people's favorite couple, and we get people <laughs> to, like, introduce us now. I feel cool. Yeah. <laughs> So, yes, folks, you heard right. We are now bringing in celebrity introductions. (laughs) Yeah, Dre sent us that. So, Dre, uh, again, Twitter, the Twitterverse of of podcasting uh, has connected us with so many amazing podcasters, and it's a great community. And he just sent us that, like, like out of the blue. And I'm like, oh, hell yeah, that is amazing. We're going to throw that at the beginning of some of our episodes now. So go check out Tattoo Squid Podcast. And uh, uh, support support Dre and all his guests. And he has uh, a lot of interviews on his show and uh, brings people on from other podcasts and whatnot. So go check it out. And uh, But while you're here, yeah. stay here and Say, listen to this. But yeah, yeah. I mean, listen to this episode first. But once you get there, drop him a line and tell him Campfire Classics sent you. Yeah. <laughs> I'm so burpy. <laughs> I'm so burpy. We just ate, and now I'm drinking a margarita, which is not my normal recording drink. Um, and I think between, like, the sugar and the cheese that we had before dinner and, like, everything, I'm just kind of like, burpity burp, burp, burp. So this is either going to be a really fun show or a really weird show because it is fueled by sugar and tequila. Woo! Tequila. Uh, this is also, uh, at least uh, timeline-wise, this is the last episode uh, we're recording quote-unquote together that's going to come out. Like, you'll have just gotten to West Virginia when yeah, this, this is, comes out. This is a confusing one timeline-wise because we are recording this on the day that last week's episode came out. Came out. Which means, as we are recording this... Heather is a year younger than she is when you are listening to it. Oh, man, that hurts. (laughs) So if everybody out there in podcast land would please join me in singing happy birthday to Heather. Hmm. Happy birthday to you. I'm scared. Happy birthday (laughs) to you. But it was five days ago. Happy birthday, dear Heather. Happy birthday to you. Aw, thanks, Beebe. <laughs> and thank you, listener, for singing along with me, because I am absolutely certain that you didn't leave me hanging like an asshole. <laughs> I hope someone harmonized in their car while they were listening or something. <laughs> Actually, I hope someone harmonized while they're listening with on their iPod. Like, like in the subway. Like in the subway. Who has an iPod anymore? What's an iPod? What? Like the music thing. Who has one of those anymore? Uh. I was singing my AirPods, but... <laughs> If you're listening on an iPod, more power to you, man. That's awesome. That's fantastic. Uh, Actually, 
if you don't mind, if you could rewind this episode like 40 seconds and take a video of you singing happy birthday along with me to Heather and send those to us, that would be oh so lovely. I would love that. That would be um, amazing. It'd be it'd be a great fun thing for us and a wonderful little happy birthday gift for my wonderful co-host. Yeah, that's me. Yeah. So do that. And if you are a musical theater nerd, go ahead and harmonize with it. Actually, so if I get enough people to send in a, a video, audio and video of them singing happy birthday along with me, I will edit together a digital choir <laughs> Jesus. and put it out just because I think that would be funny. I think that's a challenge accepted moment, all of you out there. So, so all of you out there... Record record yourself singing happy birthday to Heather and give me as many harmony lines as you want and can so that we can turn this into a full like four part harmony happy birthday choir. Hell yeah. That sounds like a good use of everybody's time. That's, that sounds like a, I mean, what the hell else are we doing right now? Like, seriously. Um, but yeah, so my birthday was on the second. Uh, I assume uh, it was fun. Yeah, it was it was a really good time. Um, we, My future me says it's going to be great. Yeah, we did things and saw people. Mm-hmm. Um, the most exciting game of Stab Apple ever was played. <laughs> Ken is convinced we're going to play Stab Apple at this backyard uh, barbecue birthday I'm throwing. <laughs> I'm like, I don't know if I want to hand a knife to a bunch of people who've been drinking. But, you know. We can do a sobriety test before they're allowed to play. <laughs> and I don't plan on anyone getting that tanked because they all have to leave so i guess you know a knife would be okay maybe we can do it with one of our swords we'll do it with one of the fencing foils because <laughs> <laughs> they've got blunted they've been tips blunted, so they can stab through the apple but they probably yeah. won't hurt anybody else yeah. <laughs> i love it all right be prepared stab apple videos but we'll be playing stab apple after we've played true american so everyone's <laughs> aim will be crappy ken is also convinced we're going to learn the uh very confusing rules to true american from new girl which you know what i'm not gonna lie i've always you, you wanted to want play it, don't you? but i also want to remember my birthday and it seems like the kind of game where you don't yeah but the party is the day after your birthday well yeah <laughs> that's that is true. My logic is infallible. That is true. I and, can't I can't argue with that. And inflexible. And inflexible. <laughs> yeah, what are you going to do? Well, speaking of birthdays and childhood memories, uh, we have a promo. Uh, I, I, don't, I don't follow that transition, but I'm going to say, tell me more, tell me more. Tell me more. And hope that that segue <laughs> makes some sense. It makes sense. Okay. Um, so this is for hindsight podcast okay and um, hindsight podcast is about birthdays and babies um no but it's about uh childhood nostalgia so like birthday parties you okay. know okay all right i respect i respect the effort you have gone through I, you know what sometimes sometimes you got to reach a little farther but as long as you eventually get there and then <laughs> then the effort was worth it so uh here's hindsight podcast when i was a child i thought as a child and as a child, I thought some really horrible movies were really good. But then I grew up. <laughs> Hindsight is a podcast where my friend Brandon and I go back and look at movies that we thought were dope when we were kids or young adults. Some of them are just as good as we remember them. But other ones, shush. I mean, really, 
If you, as a grown adult, are not terrified by Junior from Problem Child, and if you, as an adult, don't think Claude from Life is the real villain of the movie, I don't know what to tell you. We talk about stuff like that. We also talk about things like how Steve Latimer from the program is the worst person in the world. How Belly was a great music video, but a horrible movie. And why Kevin from Home Alone was absolutely a horrible kid. Now, Brendan doesn't believe in half the stuff that I'm saying, so we usually end up arguing about it, which makes this show excellent. And we have a great time doing it. It's funny, it's insightful, and we get some really great folks on to talk to us about it. So check it out. If you ever wonder what your favorite movies as a child would look like as an adult, check us out. Chances are we've already seen it, and it ain't pretty. We're available on Linktree backslash HSMR, or you could just type us into your favorite podcatcher. We'll be there. Thanks so much for listening. We'll talk to you later. Peace. You do what you have to do to play. So, um, I am going to guarantee they have already done it, but one of those movies that did that for me was The NeverEnding Story. Oh, God, it's so bad. It's so bad, y'all. It makes me sad. It's so terrible. <laughs> hey, uh, hindsight, if you haven't done NeverEnding Story yet, um, do it. And have one of us on, and, and or both of us. please invite us to tag along, because, oh, good Lord, do I have opinions <sighs> It it broke. We watched it together. It broke my heart, like because you know it was such a it was such a movie as yeah. we were kids. Like that was the movie, but you know that's. But then also, like I would want to watch Return to Oz with them because that shit, that shit holds, holds up, up and is horrifying. <laughs> is horrifying in, in the same and different ways now. So, uh, so Derek and Brandon, uh, go check out. Uh, Go check those movies out if you haven't and invite us along to listen. And go check out Hindsight Podcasts as well if you like a little little throwback nostalgia action if in If I could life. also recommend doing a marathon of the 1990s Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movies. Oh, uh, yeah. Because one and three quarters of those three movies really hold up. One and three quarters. I, I don't think I ever saw the third one, honestly. I, I know I saw the original because there was the, was it Vanilla Ice? Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. that was the second one. That was the second one. Yeah. Okay. Now, I saw the first and the second for sure. Yeah. Um, and yeah, there was yeah. the- So the second one had Vanilla Ice and Toka and Razor and the Super Shredder. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and Kino. Yes. Uh, Ernie Reese Jr. I believe you. The first one was- uh, uh, Casey Jones and the whiny white kid. <laughs> yes. Okay. Yeah. It's yeah. been a while. That's one that if I watched it now, I it would all like, it'd probably all come back to yeah. me. But I have not watched those movies since I was a kid. And Raph screams damn like three times in the first one. Scandal. Which is why... We got so my class in first or second grade or whatever, whatever grade I was in the year that movie came out, uh, came out on VHS. Uh, we got a pizza party and we were told we got to pick a movie that we wanted to watch with the pizza party and we voted and selected Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. What else would you watch with a pizza party? Duh. Yeah. And the second time Raphael screamed, Damn, the teacher turned it off and told us we didn't get to watch it anymore. Oh, that's fucking rude. Right? 
Are you serious? I am absolutely serious. That I like was crossed furious. the threshold. Yes. That crossed the threshold of yep. PG. Okay. Yeah. Ah, uh, I love that. Those movies hold up though. Willow also holds up. Yes. Yeah. Like a rock star. Yeah. Masters of the Universe also technically holds up, but only by virtue of the fact that it was never any good. That's fair. <laughs> I think I think Ken really wants to be on this other podcast. I do. <laughs> Yeah, y'all, if you're looking for a guest host or co-host at any point, someone to slide in, if like one of you guys ends up having kids or needing to take a leave of absence or whatever and you need someone to fill in, I am your guy. Ken Ken does bring me Ken on does board. love the, the old the old eighties, nineties movies. He does. I wanna play. You wanna play? Yeah. All right, well let's play it. Why don't we play it what we do? Is that fair? So yeah. go check out Hindsight Podcasts. Uh, Derek's a good friend of the podcast. Also, we've played uh, his other show, Ratchet Podcast. Ratchet Book Club. Oh, yeah. If you, so haven't, if you haven't listened to Ratchet Book Club, do that, too. <laughs> wow, we've given three podcast recommendations in the space of about eight minutes. We are uh, we are uh, the, the, the world. We are the children. <laughs> we are the ones who will make a better place. For you and me. Yeah. Um, and all podcasters. So, yeah, let's let's do what we do. So, all right. Um, so, in case We don't are, do movie reviews. We don't do movie reviews. Uh, we talk about movies a lot. So, if you are a first-time listener, and if we're doing our job right, every episode is somebody's first episode. Yay! Uh, what we do here is read stories to you. Uh, you might have picked that up from... Dre's little intro yeah. for us. We do. We read stories. Uh, we read stories that are in public domain because we do not like getting sued by the estates of long dead authors. Nope. And uh, we read these stories sight unseen. And this week, Heather has selected a story for me to try to read to you. So we'll see how that goes. But first, I think she has a little bit of uh, education, a little bit of fun facting to do. Yeah, we like to read these stories and we also like to give you um, educational uh, perks so you can tell your friends that you learned something today. Because let me tell you, every time I do these fun facts things, I learned a lot and yeah. then I feel much cooler at parties. Yeah, we are basically reading Rainbow. We we are. Oh, LeVar Burton. I want LeVar Burton to listen to our podcast. Dear listener. If you if know you, LeVar Burton. If you have any connection, even the most tenuous of connections to LeVar Burton, um, I will love you forever if you get an episode of this podcast into his hands. Oh, my gosh. Into and, his ears. And also, I really hope they make him the host of Jeopardy. Anyway, <laughs> moving on. We love LeVar Burton. Okay. Uh, so this week, we have a interesting... Uh, loophole situation again, like we've been running into. I love loopholes. I'm not quite sure what happened here. So I looked right. in a, I looked on like 20 websites. I could not find why it's necessarily in public domain, but it is. Okay, great. Like, um, so let's find out who it is. And it might be someone a lot of you recognize. Speaking of nostalgia, this week we are doing Ronald Dahl or Ronald Dahl. Ronald Dahl. <laughs> All right. You may have heard of him uh, from such uh, stories as Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, James and the Giant Peach, The Witches, Matilda, you know, the list goes on. But let's learn a little bit about this this fella. All huh? right, let's do it. All right, so Raul Dahl, or Ronald Dahl, was born the 13th of September, so his birthday's coming up, too. He's Happy also birthday, a Virgo. Uh, 1916. 
So he was a British novelist, a short story writer, a poet, a screenwriter, and a wartime fighter pilot. Jesus. Yep. Sure, because why not? And some people say they think he was also a spy during World War II. So he was born in Landoff, Wales. So Welsh. Great. To How Nor- many silent consonants are in that word? I don't know. There's at least <laughs> one silent L because there's two L's in a row. And there's two F's in a row. But he was born in Wales to Norwegian parents. Uh, his parents' names were Harold and Sophie. And he was named after Ronald uh, Am- Amdison. I know I've heard the Am... Anyway, it's the Norwegian who had been the first man to reach the South Pole. Oh, cool. Um, I've heard the story of that, like, adventure. Uh, so, and that just happened four years before he was born. So that's how he got his name. He had kind of a tough childhood because his sister died from appendicitis um, when he was only three. And his father died of pneumonia when he was four. So Ouch. his mother was left single and she was pregnant when dad passed away. Um, but instead of returning to Norway to live with her family in Oslo, she really wanted to uh, honor her, her late husband's wishes and have the children be educated in English schools and get an education because he considered them to be the world's best. So she found a way and got them, sta- they stayed in Wales. In 1929, uh, Ron, Raul Dahl, <laughs> still Ronald at this point. Attend- L- little Ronnie. Little Ronnie. He he attended Repton School in Der- Derbyshire, which is a like boarding school for yep. boys. He disliked it very much. There was hazing and there was a like ritual cruelty. I mean, it's a bunch of boys at a school. It's basically a frat for like junior high kids. I cannot even fucking imagine. Sounds like the worst place ever. Yep. So if you've read any of his like children's books, there's the common theme in them where all the adults are horrible people and there's like one saving grace adult usually, but the kids triumph in the end. Yeah. So the, a lot of uh, people that have done autobiographies about him and stuff are like, well, we well, all know where yeah, that came look from. At, look at where he went to school. Yeah. So at his school, he was never seen as a particularly talented writer, <laughs> of course. Naturally. Of course. Uh, one of his English teachers wrote in a school report, wrote in a school report, quote, I have never met anybody who so persistently writes words, meaning the exact opposite of what is intended. And I'm like, I don't think you got his uh, his sarcasm. Yeah, I'm just going to go ahead and say that just means he was writing satire. Yep. Yep. Which he was <laughs> like, you look at what he what he wrote later. It's Yeah. This is a fun fact. So during his years at Repton, the Cadbury Chocolate Company occasionally sent boxes of new chocolates to the school to be tested by the pupils. So <laughs> they just like send like the newest version of the like chocolate bar from Cadbury and stuff like that. That's not legal today. You can't just do human <laughs> testing of sweets. I, I'm guessing they'd been tested. They were just <laughs> testing if the if children liked them. I'm hoping. I don't know. Hey I, I didn't kids, read anything about anyone dying. Do you like chocolate? <laughs> so, uh, little this Ronnie. This one came out of a bunny's butt. The Cadbury Easter eggs. <laughs> Came out well, of I the guess Cadbury technically it came bunny. out of their vagina. It came so. out of their vagina. <laughs> that probably works. Uh, it's, not, yeah, it's, it's not better. <laughs> not better. One's just poop and one's an egg, I guess. So, 
Uh, maybe they were originally Cadbury poops and they changed it to eggs. I don't understand. Bunnies don't lay eggs. What? <laughs> Bunnies don't lay eggs. No, they don't. Where do they fucking come from? Are you just now putting this together? Anyway, moving on. I'm not ready. I'm not ready for this uh, existential d- d- debate with myself. Uh, so little Ronnie dreamt of inventing, because of this, he dreamt of inventing a new chocolate bar that would win praise from Mr. Cadbury. Guess what story that inspired? Holy shit. So he, this inspired his third children's book. They didn't, he didn't write this until 1964, so like... Quite literally, like 30 years later, he wrote this, but he used a childhood memory of these chocolate bars. As someone who's been to the Cadbury Chocolate Factory, oh, it, it is Willy Wonka's place. It is amazing. Uh, minus minus the, the murder of children. <laughs> we hope. Minus all the psychotic death. <laughs> psychotic death. Um so Dahl was never really uh, like ex- he never excelled as a student. Like he just kind of he didn't love school there and he'd had a rough childhood and everything. But his mom offered to pay his tuition to go to Oxford or Cambridge. And he said, quote, no, thank you. I want to go straight from school to work for a company that will send me to wonderful faraway places like Africa or China. So he was like, no, nah, I don't want to go to college. I'm out. So he did that. Uh, Dahl graduated from Repton in 1932, and he went on an expedition to Newfoundland, and he, like, hiked across Newfoundland, and then he took a job with Shell Oil Company in Tanzania, Africa, and he was there till almost 1940. He still wanted more adventures, so in 1939, he joined the Royal Air Force and trained in Kenya to become a World War II fighter pilot. Oof, timing, dude. Well, I think he knew. I mean, the world was already, they knew what was coming. Um, So he served in the Mediterranean during World War II, and he crash-landed in Alexandria, Egypt. The plane crash left him with serious injuries to his skull, spine, and hip, following a recovery that included a hip replacement and two spinal surgeries. Dahl was transferred to Washington, D.C. to become an assistant air attache. So like a, a, a consultant, basically, for fighter pilots. So while, while he was there, the novelist C.S. Forrester encouraged him to write about his Royal Air Force adventures, which is when he started writing. So he uh, so he'd already had like two, three careers, <laughs> like, you know, and then he's like, yeah, writing's fun. Uh, and these were published in the Saturday Evening Post and they were popular. So he continued to write. His first book was called The Gremlins, not Gremlins that you're thinking of, but it was written and Walt Disney loved it and was going to make a movie out of it. And it just never happened. He also wrote a bunch of short stories um, and um, a series of military tales. And critics were kind of like, you know, it's fine. He finally achieved bestseller status with a novel called Someone Like You, which was a collection of macabre stories for adults, which was followed by a book called Kiss Kiss in 1959, which focused on stormy romantic relationships. Wow. And then... So naturally... James and the Giant Peach. Yeah. So wait for it. So then he was a screenplay writer for Myth in the 1960s. People were like, "You write like you write films. You should you should go write films." So he's like, "Okay." Um, so he wrote a James Bond film. Which one? You only live twice. No shit. And he wrote the screenplay to Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. 
Like the little car. Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. Chitty Chitty Bang Bang, we love you. And our Chitty Chitty Bang Bang, Chitty Chitty Bang Bang loves us too. Hi <laughs> Chitty Low Chitty, everywhere we go on Chitty Chitty, we depend. Bang Bang, Chitty Chitty Bang Bang, our fine four fendered friend. Bang Bang, Chitty Chitty Bang Bang, our fine four fendered friend. I'd watch that one for hindsight too. Oh my gosh, I have not seen that movie since I was a kid either. That's amazing. All right. That was a good song. Thanks, Ken. Mm-hmm. Uh, usually I'm the one breaking into song. You're I, all about I, it this I, week. I saw that movie once or twice. Just a few times? Yeah. yeah. Uh, so this happened, and he was like, I don't really love Hollywood, um, but he really liked working on Chitty Chitty Bang Bang, and he goes, I'm going to write some children's books. So he did, and here we are. So unlike a lot of the other books, uh, these were aimed at young audiences, with dark comic nature, frequently including gruesome violence and death. His uh, villains were often malevolent adults. And then there was always a noble child protagonist. So, Dahl also began adapting his own novel, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, for film. But he failed to meet the deadline for the, the screenplay. Oops. So, David Seltzer finished it and wrote it. Which is the one we know with Gene Wilder in 1971, which is the only one, by the way. Um, though, Dahl disowned the film. Yeah, well, because they made significant changes, including changing the name to Willy Wonka and yes. the Chocolate Factory because they wanted Wonka's name in there to help sell candy bars. Yep. So he said he, it placed too much emphasis on Willy Wonka and not enough on Charlie. Yeah. Because the story is about the kid, not about... Willy Wonka. Although, in fairness, if you cast Gene Wilder, yeah. the movie is about him. Yeah, because Gene Wilder uh, it is just amazing. Is. Uh, in 1961, Dahl hosted and wrote for a science fiction and horror television anthology called Way Out. So okay. it was a Twilight Zone t- sty- uh, style show, but it, and it was for CBS and had 14 episodes from March to July in 1961. He also wrote uh, for the satirical BBC comedy program, That Was the Week That Was, which was hosted by David Frost. Oh. He wrote that. Cool. I know. I grew up watching that. Yeah. I, I actually know what that show was. Yep. Uh, other TV credits include six of his stories, which are turned into episodes of award-winning U.S. series Alfred Hitchcock Presents. So children's stories and terror. Like, that's what he did. Uh, Dahl also created and wrote for Tales of the Unexpected, which ran for uh, several years between 1979 and 1988 in the UK. So, um, so yeah, so you, we all know Raul Dahl. I mean, if you are a, a person of a certain age and you know, and you are aware of literature, you know who this is. Um, he ended up passing away on November 23rd, 1990, from a, a rare blood cancer, um, and. Uh, his legacy lives on. I mean, he has foundations and all these amazing movies that are still being made, a musical, like yeah. many musicals, actually. Um, so this week, you will be reading the Leupold uh, public domain short story called Lamb to the Slaughter. Oh, that sounds chipper. <laughs> all right. So Lamb to the Slaughter is a 1953 short story. It was initially rejected along with four other stories by The New Yorker, but published in Harper's Magazine. So, and it was adapted for an episode of Alfred Hitchcock Presents. All right. Well, let's get this happy-go-lucky, sparkly little fire going. Sparkle! (laughs) Lamb to the slaughter. Fucked up. Fucked 
the slaughter <laughs> by Rolled Doll. What's a lamb? I'm you love lamb? I'm just pronouncing all the letters. You love lamb? I love lamb. <laughs> I love lamb! <laughs> Get out! <laughs> oh my god, Ken is not allowed to drink tequila on the show anymore. Alright, we'll see if I keep that. <clears throat> lamb to the Slaughter by Rolled Doll. The room was warm and clean, the curtains down, the two table lamps alight, hers and the one by the empty chair opposite. On the sideboard behind her, two tall glasses, soda water, whiskey. Hell yeah! Fresh ice cubes in the thermos bucket. So she loves lamp and whiskey. <laughs> she loves lamp and whiskey. <laughs> and... Someone else does, too, by the sounds of it. Yeah, it sounds like someone's missing. Mary Maloney. Oh, good. She has a name. Mary Maloney. Mary Maloney. Mary Maloney. Oh, darling. Uh, Mary Maloney was waiting for her husband to come home from work. Now and again, she would glance up at the clock, but without anxiety, merely to please herself with the thought that each minute gone by made it nearer the time when he would come. Got, she's just waiting. Just yep. patiently waiting for him to come. And pleasing herself all the while. And pleasing herself while she waits. Well, yep. you know what? That's a long-distance relationship right there. <laughs> Been there, done that. <laughs> there was a slow, smiling air about her, and about everything she did. The drop of a head as she bent over her sewing was curiously tranquil. Her skin, for this was her sixth month with child, had acquired a wonderful, translucent quality. The mouth was soft, and the eyes, with their new placid look, seemed larger, darker than before. When the clock said ten minutes to five, she began to listen. And a few moments later, punctually, as always, she heard the tires on the gravel outside and the car door slamming, the footsteps passing the window, the key turning in the lock. She laid aside her sewing, stood up, and went forward to kiss him as he came in. Oh, this is such a, like, 1950s, like... Leave it to Beaver so far. It is. So far. What's if, she doing with a glass of whiskey if she's pregnant? I'm guessing she's already poured it for him. There are two glasses. But one's with soda water, right? Yes. One is soda water. So she's, it's soda water's hers. Or it's the 1950s and, and this is when doctors still were like, you can have just a little bit. Just a little bit. <laughs> just a little bit. Hello, darling, she said. <laughs> Hello, darling, he answered. We are in Leave it to Beaver Town. She took his coat and hung it in the closet. Then she walked over and made the drinks, a strongish one for him, a weak one for herself. See, just a little bit. 
and soon she was back again in her chair with the sewing and he in the other opposite holding the tall glass with both hands rocking it so the ice cubes tinkled against the side i love when the ice cubes tinkle <laughs> no thank you i prefer it when ice cubes don't tinkle i'm going to drink that but it's ice cube tinkle, so it's like the it's the it's the tinkle why you use ice cubes. You want them to tinkle out a little bit, of, you know. I'm never using <laughs> ice cubes again. Have fun drinking that margarita behind you. <laughs> After this one, I'm never using ice and cubes again. And it's even again. a mango margarita, so it looks like ice cube tinkle. Mmm. <laughs> mmm. Mmm, tinkling. How's that tinkle taste? Tinkle tastes real good. <laughs> I hope that gets used out of context when I run for office in the future. <laughs> Did you hear what Heather Lawler said on her podcast? She admitted to liking the taste of tinkle. Senator Lawler, we have a disturbing audio clip to play for you. Mmm, tinkle mm, tastes tinkle good. Tinkle tastes good. You know what? This podcast is, is going to haunt me <laughs> if I ever run for office. The shit they're going to get from this podcast for out of context clips and in context, honestly, sometimes. <laughs> oh, no. Oh. <laughs> My political dreams have been ruined. But this tinkle does taste real good. <laughs> from now on, every time I order a margarita, the conversation will go... Uh, did you want that frozen or on the rocks? No, straight up. Excuse me, margarita straight up. I don't want any ice cube tinkle. The bartender just goes, I think you've had enough. Just sends me a glass of margarita mix. Mmm, yum sugar water. For her, this was always a blissful time of day. She knew he didn't want to speak much until the first drink was finished, and she, on her side, was content to sit quietly enjoying his company after the long hours alone in the house. Mm. I understand that feeling, but usually it's coffee, not alcohol. If I ever get to the point where I can't talk to another human being until I'm at least one whiskey down... That's, that's when you go... Mm. She loved to luxuriate in the presence of this man and to feel almost as a sunbather feels the sun, that warm male glow that came out of him to her when they were alone together. I love when the male glow comes out at me when I'm alone with them. You're welcome. <laughs> She loved him for the way he sat loosely in a chair. What a for whore. The... <laughs> How do you sit loosely in a chair? He just got like the big old man spread on. He's yeah. got his hand down his pants like Paul, Bu or not Paul Bundy, uh, Al Bundy style. <laughs> I just mixed Al, Al Bundy and, and Paul, Paul Bunyan. Bunyan. Sits with his his he's he's all man spread and he's hung like Paul Bunyan is the there it thing, is that's so. that's what it is that's what it is but he's got his hand on his pants so he's sitting loosely. Oh, fuck, we are not going to make it through this story. Okay, I'm going to stop interrupting. <laughs> uh, There's just too much good stuff. 
She loved it. Well, yeah, he's hung like Paul Bunyan. He's That's hung all like the good Paul stuff. Paul Bunyan, and he liked Tinkle Water, and um, she basks in the glow of his coming home. Which is what a wife should do. <laughs> oh, 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 no. She loved him for the way he sat loosely in a chair, for the way he came in a door or moved slowly across the room with long strides. She loved the intent, far look in his eyes when they rested on her, the funny shape of the mouth, and especially the way he remained silent about his tiredness, sitting still with himself until the whiskey had taken some of it away. (laughs) Tired, darling. Yes, he said, I'm tired. And as he spoke, he did an unusual thing. He lifted his glass and drained it in one swallow, although there was still half of it, at least half of it, left. She wasn't really watching him, but she knew what he had done because she heard the ice cubes falling back against the bottom of the empty glass when he lowered his arm. He paused a moment, leaning forward in the chair. Then he got up and went slowly over to fetch himself another. Oh, no. I'll get it, she cried, jumping up. Sit down, he said. Okay, not a fan, not a fan of this guy so far. When he came back, she noticed that the new drink was dark amber with the quantity of whiskey in it. Darling, shall I get your slippers? No. She watched him as he began to sip the dark yellow drink. And she could see the little oily swirls in the liquid because it was so strong. Oh, damn. I think it's a shame, she said, that when a policeman gets to be as senior as you, they keep him walking about on his feet all day long. So he's a cop. Okay. Yep. So he does have a rough job, probably. He didn't answer, so she bent her head again and went on with her sewing. But each time he lifted the drink to his lips, she heard the ice cubes clinking against the side of the glass. Darling, she said, would you like me to get you some cheese? I haven't made any supper because it's Thursday. No, he said. We don't eat on Thursdays. (laughs) Why don't they eat on Thursday? That's weird. Um, Because Thursday is cheese day is the lord's day no (laughs) because thursday is sex night and you don't want to feel too bloated oh yeah but she's pregnant he's not (laughs) would you like me to get you some cheese i haven't made any supper because it's thursday no he said if you're too tired to eat out she went on it's still not too late There's plenty of meat and stuff in the freezer, and you can have it right here and not even move out of the chair. Her eyes waited on him for an answer, a smile, a little nod, but he made no sign. Okay, so Thursday they go out to eat. Yes. It's like date night. Yeah. Man, if you're too tired to eat out on date night, she's not going to have a good time. Oh! 
And the way he's acting, he owes her a good time. Because right. he's acting like a little bitch right now. Anyway, she went on, I'll get you some cheese and crackers first. I don't want it, he said. <laughs> she moved on. Une- I hope he's actually being moody because I'm giving him a really moody attitude. Yeah, I mean, he sounds like he's being moody. Yeah. I mean, he's literally answering in like one, two, three word responses. And she's going on trying to make him feel better. She moved uneasily in her chair, the large eyes still watching his face. But you must eat. I'll fix it anyway, and then you can have it or not as you like. She stood up and placed her sewing on the table by the lamp. Sit down, he said, just for a minute. Sit down. Oh, Uh uh-oh. It wasn't till then that she began to get frightened. Oh, no. Go on, he said. Sit down. (gasps) Ew. She lowered herself back slowly into the chair, watching him all the time with those large, bewildered eyes. All of the large eyes references are making me really uncomfortable with a title like Lamb to the Slaughter. Yeah, like deer in the headlights situation. Yeah. He had finished the second drink and was staring down into the glass, frowning. Listen, he said. I've got something to tell you. What is it, darling? What's the matter? He had now become absolutely motionless, and he kept his head down so that the light from the lamp beside him fell across the upper part of his face, leaving the chin and mouth in shadow. She noticed there was a little muscle moving near the corner of his left eye. Twitch, 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 twitch. This is going to be a bit of a shock to you, I'm afraid, he said, but I've thought about it a good deal, and I've decided the only thing to do is tell you right away. I hope you won't blame me too much. And he told her. It didn't take long, four or five minutes at most, and she sat very still through it all, watching him with a kind of dazed horror as he went further and further away from her with each word. Does he want a divorce? He's having an affair? Uh... Uh, he, uh, is Hannibal Lecter. He's Uh, in love with their pet sheep. (laughs) Let's find out. Roald Dahl was Welsh. (laughs) There are more sheep in Wales than people. Our English (laughs) listeners will think that joke was very funny. Yeah. (laughs) The Welsh (laughs) listeners. We'll be offended and then laugh. The American (laughs) listeners. So Wales is this little corner. (laughs) It's this little tiny little like nipple of England. (laughs) Have you ever seen a sheep nipple? (laughs) Well, that's what Wales is. So there it is, he added. And I know it's kind of a bad time to be telling you, but there simply wasn't any other way. Maybe he's gay. Of course, I'll give you money and see you're looked after, but there needn't really be any fuss. I hope not, anyway. It wouldn't be very good for my job. Her first instinct was not to believe any of it, to reject it all. 
it occurred to her that perhaps he hadn't even spoken that she herself had imagined the whole thing maybe if she went about her business and acted as though she hadn't been listening then later when she sort of woke up again she might find none of it had ever happened that usually works for me yeah <laughs> I'll get the supper, she managed to whisper, and this time he didn't stop her. When she walked across the room, she couldn't feel her feet touching the floor. She couldn't feel anything at all except a slight nausea and a desire to vomit. Everything was automatic now. Down the steps to the cellar, the light switch, the deep freeze, the hand inside the cabinet taking hold of the first object it met. She shifted it out and looked at it. It was wrapped in paper, so she took off the paper and looked at it again. A leg of lamb. Oh. All right, then. They would have lamb for supper. She carried it upstairs, holding the thin bone end of it with both of her hands. And as she went through the living room, she saw him standing over by the window with his back to her, and she stopped. Oh, for God's sake, he said, hearing her, but not turning round. Don't make supper for me. I'm going out. Uh, uh, At that point, Mary Maloney simply walked up behind him, and without any pause, she swung the big <gasps> frozen leg of lamb high in the air and brought it down as hard as she could on the back of his head. Oh, shit! <laughs> she might as well have hit him with a steel club. Holy shit, she just pulled a cell block tango on that bitch. <laughs> he had it coming. Bum, bum. He had it coming. Bum, bum. He told me he was leaving, so I went down to the freezer in the basement. I came up with a leg of lamb, and the next thing I remember, I was eating the leg of lamb, and he was dead on the floor. <laughs> she stepped back a pace, waiting, and the funny thing was that he remained standing there for at least four or five seconds, gently swaying. Then he crashed to the carpet. <laughs> the violence of the crash, the noise, the small table overturning, helped bring her out of her shock. She came out slowly, feeling cold and surprised, and she stood for a while blinking at the body still holding the ridiculous piece of meat tight with both hands. All right, she told herself. So I've killed him. Oh, shit. Holy shit! She did! She cell-block-tangoed him! It was extraordinary now how clear her mind became all of a sudden. She began thinking very fast. As the wife of a detective, she knew quite well what the penalty would be. That was fine. It made no difference to her. In fact, it would be a relief. On the other hand, what about the child? What were the laws about murderers with unborn children? Me and my baby, my baby and me. <laughs> I, I, this is Roxy Hart. This is actually the story that Chicago was based yeah, on. of course. Did they kill, then, both mother and child? Or did they wait until the tenth month? What did they do? Mary Maloney didn't know. And she certainly wasn't prepared to take a chance. She carried the meat into the kitchen, placed it in a pan, 
turned the oven on high, and shoved it inside. She's going to cook it. All right. Well, I mean, there's no point in letting it go to waste. That's true. She's probably hungry after all that murdering. So. Then she washed her hands and ran upstairs to the bedroom. She sat down before the mirror, tidied her hair, touched up her lips and face. She tried a smile. It came out rather peculiar. <laughs> she tried again. Hello, Sam, she said brightly, aloud. The voice sounded peculiar, too. I want some potatoes, please, Sam. Yes, and I think a can of peas. That was better. <laughs> Both the smile and the voice were coming out better now. She rehearsed it several times more. Then she ran downstairs, took her coat, went out the back door, down the garden, into the street. It wasn't six o'clock yet, and the lights were still on in the grocery store. Hello, Sam, she said brightly, smiling at the man behind the counter. Why, good evening, Mrs. Maloney. How are you? <laughs> I want some potatoes, please, Sam. Yes, and I think a can of peas. The man turned and reached up behind him on the shelf for the peas. Patrick's decided he's tired and doesn't want to eat out tonight, she told him. Well, we usually go out Thursdays, you know, and now he's caught me without any vegetables in the house. Oh, then how about meat, Mrs. Maloney? No, I've got meat, thanks. A nice leg of lamb from the freezer. Oh. I don't much like cooking it frozen, Sam, but I'm taking a chance on it this time. You think it'll be all right? Personally, the grocer said, I don't believe it makes any difference. You want these Idaho potatoes? Oh, yes, that'll be fine. Yeah, Two get them Idaho ones. Anything else? The grocer cocked his head on one side, looking at her pleasantly. How about afterwards? What are you going to give him for afterwards? Oh, baby, don't you want to know? <laughs> well, what would you suggest, Sam? The man glanced around his shop. How about a nice big slice of cheesecake? <laughs> I know he likes that. Oh, damn. Perfect, she said. He loves it. Oh, no. And then a blowjob. <laughs> well, he is stiff. Uh, whoa. <laughs> uh, dear listener, those last two lines were Ken Sandberg edits. They were not in the original text. Just Shocking. <laughs> And when it was all wrapped and she had paid, she put on her brightest smile and said, Thank you, Sam. Good night. Good night, Mrs. Maloney, and thank you. And now, she told herself as she hurried back, all she was doing now, she was returning home to her husband, and he was waiting for his supper, and she must cook it good and make it as tasty as possible, because the poor man was tired, and if when she entered the house she happened to find anything unusual or tragic or terrible, then naturally it would be a shock, and she'd become frantic with grief and horror. Mind you, she wasn't expecting to find anything. She was just going to go home with the vegetables, Mrs. Patrick Maloney, Going home with the vegetables on Thursday evening to cook supper for her husband. Damn, this bitch just put together a full al alibi and like was like, do, yeah, do, do, not do, for do. nothing, but she's handling this really well. She is. 
That's the way, she told herself. Do everything right and natural. I mean, she's the wife of a detective. Absolutely natural, and there will be no need for any acting at all. Therefore, when she entered the kitchen by the back door, she was humming a little tune to herself and smiling. Patrick, she called. How are you, darling? She put the parcel down on the table and went through into the living room. And when she saw him lying on the floor with his legs doubled up and one arm twisted back underneath his body, it really was rather a shock. All the old love and longing for him welled up inside her, and she ran over to him, knelt down beside him, and began to cry her heart out. It was easy. No acting was necessary. Oh, shit! A few minutes later, she got up and went to the phone. She knew the number of the police station, and when the man at the other end answered, she cried to him, Quick! Come quick! Patrick's dead! Who's speaking? Mrs. Maloney! Mrs. Patrick Maloney! You mean Patrick Maloney's dead? I think so, she sobbed. He's lying on the floor and I think he's dead. Be right over, the man said. Oh my God. The car came very quickly. And when she opened the front door, two policemen walked in. She knew them both. She knew nearly all the men at that precinct, and she fell right into the chair, then went over to join the other one, who was called O'Malley, kneeling by the body. Is he dead? she cried. I'm afraid he is. What happened? Briefly, she told her story about going out to the grocer and coming back to find him on the floor. While she was talking, crying, and talking... Noonan discovered a small patch of congealed blood on the dead man's head. He showed it to O'Malley, who got up at once and hurried to the phone. Soon, other men began to come into the house. First a doctor, then two detectives, one of whom she knew by name. Later, a police photographer arrived and took pictures, and a man who knew about fingerprints... There was a great deal of whispering and muttering beside the corpse, and the detectives kept asking her a lot of questions, but they always treated her kindly. She told her story again, this time right from the beginning, when Patrick had come in and she was sewing and he was tired, so tired he hadn't wanted to go out for supper. She told how she'd put the meat in the oven, it's there now, cooking, and how she'd slipped out to the grocer for vegetables, and come back to find him on the floor which grocer (laughs) one of the detectives asked i like that guy (laughs) she told him and he turned and whispered something to the other detective who immediately went outside into the street in 15 minutes he came back with a page of notes and there was more whispering and through her sobbing she heard a few of the whispered phrases acted quite normal very cheerful wanted to give him a good supper Peas, cheesecake. <laughs> Impossible that she... <laughs> Peas, cheesecake. <laughs> After a while, the photographer and the doctor departed, and two other men came in and took the corpse away on a stretcher. Then the fingerprint man went
went away. The two detectives remained, and so did the two policemen. They were exceptionally nice to her, and Jack Noonan asked if she wouldn't rather go somewhere else, to her sister's house, perhaps, or to his own wife, who would take care of her and put her up for the night. No, she said, she didn't feel she could move even a yard at the moment. Would they mind awfully if she stayed just where she was until she felt better? She didn't feel too good at the moment. She really didn't. Then hadn't she better lie down on the bed, Jack Noonan asked. No, she said, she'd like to stay right where she was in this chair. A little later, perhaps, when she felt better, she would move. So they left her there while they went about their business searching the house. Occasionally, one of the detectives asked her another question. Sometimes Jack Noonan spoke to her gently as he passed by. Her husband, he told her, had been killed by a blow to the back of the head, administered with a heavy, blunt instrument, almost certainly a large piece of metal. Oh, no! Shocking! They were looking for the weapon. The murderer may have taken it with him, but on the other hand, he may have thrown it away or hidden it somewhere on the premises. Lamb, anybody? It's an old story, he said. Get the weapon, and you've got the man. Later, one of the detectives came up and sat beside her. Did she know, he asked, of anything in the house that could have been used as a weapon? Would she mind having a look around to see if anything was missing? A very big spanner, for example, or a heavy metal vase. (laughs) Heavy metal vase. (laughs) They didn't have any heavy metal vases, she said. Or a big spanner. She didn't think they had a big spanner, but there might be some things like that in the garage. I believe a spanner is a wrench, but you can look it up if you want. I want to. What's a big spanner? Spanner wrench. Yep. Yeah, it's one of those like big ass. Like a pipe wrench? Like a big ass wrench. Yeah. Yeah. The search went on. She knew that there were other policemen in the garden all around the house. She could hear their footsteps on the gravel outside, and sometimes she saw a flash of a torch through a chink in the curtains. It began to get late. Nearly nine, she noticed, by the clock on the mantel. The four men searching the rooms seemed to be growing weary, a trifle exasperated. Jack, she said the next time Sergeant Noonan went by, would you mind giving me a drink? Sure, I'll give you a drink. You mean this whiskey? Yes, please, but just a small one. It might make me feel better. (laughs) And I'm six months pregnant. (laughs) He handed her the glass. Why don't you have one yourself? She said. You must be awfully tired. Please do. You've been very good to me. Well, he answered, it's not strictly allowed, but I might take just a drop to keep me going. Oh, damn! One by one, the others came in and were persuaded to take a little nip of whiskey. 
They stood around rather awkwardly with the drinks in their hands, uncomfortable in her presence, trying to say consoling things to her. Sergeant Noonan wandered into the kitchen, came out quickly, and said, Look, Mrs. Maloney, you know that oven of yours is still on and the meat is still inside. Oh, dear me, she cried, so it is. I better turn it off for you, hadn't I? Will you do that, Jack? Thank you so much. When the sergeant returned the second time, she looked at him with her large, dark, tearful eyes. Jack Noonan, she said. Yes. Would you do me a small favor, you and these others? We can try, Mrs. Maloney. Well, she said, here you all are, and good friends of dear Patrick's, too, and helping to catch the man who killed him. You must be terrible hungry by now, because it's long past your supper time, and I know Patrick would never forgive me, God bless his soul, if I allowed you to remain in his house without offering you decent hospitality. Why don't you eat up that lamb that's in the oven? It'll be cooked just right by now. Um, this bitch is my hero. Damn, girl! (laughs) Dear listener, (laughs) if you ever hear that Heather is planning to cook me lamb for dinner, call the police. I don't even like lamb. I think it's gross. (laughs) So yeah, if I'm cooking lamb, that's weird. It'll be cooked just right by now. Wouldn't dream of it, Sergeant Noonan said. Please, she begged, please eat it. Personally, I couldn't touch a thing, certainly not what's been in the house when he was here. But it's all right for you. It'd be a favor to me if you'd eat it up. Then you could go on with your work again afterwards. There was a good deal of hesitating among the four policemen, but they were clearly hungry, and in the end they were persuaded to go into the kitchen and help themselves. The woman stayed where she was, listening to them speaking among themselves, their voices thick and sloppy because their mouths were full of meat. (laughs) Ah, yes. Have some more, Charlie. No, I better not finish it. She wants us to finish it. She said so. Be doing her a favor. Uh, Okay, then. Give me some more. That's a hell of a big club the guy must have used to hit poor Patrick, one of them was saying. The doc says his skull was smashed all to pieces, just like from a sledgehammer. Jesus Christ. That's why it ought to be easy to find. Exactly what I say. (laughs) Uh, Whoever done it, they're not going to be carrying a thing like that around with them longer than they need. One of them belched. Personally, I think it's right here on the premises. (laughs) Probably right under our very noses. (laughs) What do you think, Jack? And in the other room, Mary Maloney began to giggle. That's the the fucking end? (laughs) Oh! Mary 
All right, that was not nearly as dark and depressing as I expected not a story called all. Lamb to the Slaughter to That be. was delightful and, like, that's hilarious. That is such a, like, it is, it's very, like, he had it coming. Like, I went into shock and I didn't even know what happened until after I came to. And then I went to the grocer and had peas and cheesecake. You know what it weirdly reminded me of? What? Weirdly. It reminded me of a slightly more psychotic version of the one and only story that we have ever started reading for this podcast yes. and not finished. I had the same Called thought. A Jury of Her Peers, which was more famously uh, turned into a play called Trifles, Trifles. by Susan Glaspell. Yep. Um, it is the only story that we have ever started reading and gotten about 30 minutes into and found ourselves going like, this just doesn't really work for us because... I mean, I think it was a combination it's so of so dark and they're so mean to the women. Like yeah, the guys are so dismissive to the women. It was it was also it was early on. I in fact I think it was one of the stories one we of the first five. tried to record as our first five yeah. and just ended up deciding now nah, this isn't working. Yeah. Um but it it's it is a very specifically feminist and very important social piece. Yes. And I think we just decided, oh, this is kind of hard to make fun of. This is hard to, yeah, because the men were being so dismissive of yeah. these women. And, but yeah, the, the women, but like the women end up solving the, the, the crime yeah. and it turns, yeah, it, it, there's but, a twist in it. I don't want to give it away. Go read it. But it it's, was, it it's, was, a, it's a similar case of women doing like traditionally stereo, stereotypically womanly things. Of the time. And it, it, um, it allows them to, uh, get away with something. Yeah. To, Not like, to be overlooked. They're yeah. overlooked. Yeah. There, there is a crime that is perpetrated successfully due to womanly wiles. Yeah. Um, that the men just completely ignore. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, I kept like I kept no, I literally of that. had that thought too. I had that thought, and then like I had, I kept Chicago kept popping in. Not 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 the Roxy Hart story, but like the yeah. like the other women. You know what? I like her. <laughs> also, I'm gonna try not to take that personally. Also, it okay. did honestly like. As someone who, especially when I was younger, read a lot of Roald Dahl, because I read all all those books, um, and it did, it still had those right, like, the right syntax, the right, like, rhythm, uh, it was very, but, like, the, the, the sentence structure the, felt The sentence felt structure familiar. felt familiar, but instead of talking about, like, instead of a child narrator, it was, uh, it was a different narrator. It was a woman who was murdering her husband. Yeah. So uh, delightful. I love that uh, the New Yorker like rejected it along with a few other magazines, probably well, because they're like, we don't want to give anyone any ideas. <laughs> the, the other thing I will say is that if this is the version of the story that he sent to the New Yorker, it was all kinds of full of typos and oh, weird well, syntax issues. No, <laughs> so I'm guessing. just said, fuck off. I'm guessing that was just the PDF <clears throat> I pulled because yeah. a lot of times if they've uh, transferred it from a different document. Yeah, it, if, if they pull, like, if they did a scan of a yeah, printed version yeah. and... Because I had, like, yeah. three, and I just happened to send you that one. But, but no, there hey, were just... at least it wasn't in a, a Welsh dialect, so... <laughs> no, it wasn't, although they did say hello, H-U-L-L-O. Oh, they said hello? Yeah. Oh, amazing. They didn't say hello, they said hello. Well, that's just the 50s. It's like, 
hello, have some bourbon and drink and and drink while you're pregnant and smoke cigarettes because your doctor says so. Hello. It's good for your lung strength. Yes. <laughs> breathing smoke is just like breathing heavier air. If you, it's like weightlifting for your cardiovascular system. And your baby will thank you. Mmm, <laughs> this lamb's delicious. Don't you want your baby to be immune to suffocating in fire? <laughs> Get it used to breathing smoke in utero. Four out of five doctors recommend. What in God's name is this dialect that I'm doing? It's very strange. <laughs> I don't know, but you sound like a scientist of some sort. I don't know. <laughs> so, um, listener, what do you think? Would she have gotten away with that? Did Roald Dahl, author of such children's favorites as Charlie and the Chocolate Factory and James and the Giant Peach come up with the perfect murder and if he didn't i think he did what is the perfect murder if you were going to murder someone oh god no how I would don't... you get away with it Jeez. inquiring minds want to know oh my god <laughs> this has turned into a true crime podcast it's yep. like there it is yeah all you true crime podcasts that listen to us uh are true crime fanatics have you ever heard a real story like that is like this? That someone killed someone with a slab of meat and then ate the meat? Where <laughs> the murder weapon was consumed. What's our secret word this week? So or uh, phrase. So yeah. So if you, if you're a new listener, um, uh, one of the things we do is is at the end of every episode when you make it this far. And thank you, by the way, for listening this far. Because thank you. Not everyone makes it this far, but um, when you Fools. get this far. Fools. This is the best part. <laughs> this is the best part. Obviously, we just get funnier as it goes along. I, clearly. <laughs> Margarita. Um, something like that. Regardless, uh, at the end of every episode, we like to give a little secret pass code that has something to do with the episode that we ask our listeners to write in and share with us to prove that they actually listened. And this week, that passphrase is Ice Cube Tinkle. So, if you have made it this far, and I know you have because you're hearing me say this, when you email us at 5050artsproduction at gmail.com or send us a message to uh, the Campfire Classics Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram account, please use as your subject line or somewhere in the body, Ice Cube Tinkle. Because <laughs> drinking urine is funny. Yummy. <laughs> I hope you heard the beginning of this episode and not just that part. <laughs> Once again, something that will keep Ken from being in political office. <laughs> Out of context. Drinking urine is funny. <laughs> I have nothing else to say. Ambassador Sandberg, we have a few questions about this sound clip. Also, why are you serving us lamb tonight, sir? <laughs> <laughs> Don't look under the couch. Damn. <laughs> All right. So uh, find us on the social medias. Tell five friends about this podcast if you liked it. Tell five friends if you didn't like it and uh, make them listen. <laughs> yeah. Uh, go check out Dre at Tattoo Squid. Yep. And check out Derek at... And Brandon uh, at Hindsight Podcast. Yeah, I was going to say go check out Derek at Ratchet Book Club yep. or Derek and Brandon at Hindsight. Hindsight. Yep. Listening to movies. Yeah. And please tell them that 
I want to be one of their stand-in hosts. Yeah, and tell them Campfire Classics, their favorite couple, sent you. <laughs> I think that's all I have. I think that's everything. Yeah. That um, was a fun, uh, uh, turn into a, like, uh, childhood nostalgia episode accidentally minus the murder i guess that didn't play that well never mind (laughs) ignore that that's all i have to say (laughs) i'm done do you want me to keep talking (laughs) this uncomfortable chatter (laughs) is something that you get from heather if you just look at her after a couple of margaritas it's actually a lot of fun you have to wrap the episode. I don't ever do the tagline at the end. <laughs> so thank you so much for tuning in. Uh, LeVar Burton, if you're listening, and I, I'm sure you are, please shoot us an email at 5050artsproduction at gmail.com or just friend me on Facebook. Um, and then take a look because it's in a book, A Reading, reading Rainbow. Rainbow. And until next week, this has been Campfire Classics, where we try to read those books that look really good on your shelf. Baba Black Sheep, have you any wool? I don't care, I'm gonna hit you on the head. <laughs> <laughs>